0: that's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW group. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Why, hello there. I'm back. Sorry about Friday. Oh, boy. It was logistical nightmare. Um. So... We got some news that is somewhat happening now that we need to get to. Sam Nunberg has been on with Jake Tapper on CNN making all sorts of news here about his refusal to testify uh, to the Mueller investigation. It was a bizarre interview. I mean, listen to this. Should I spend 80 hours going over my emails, Jake? If it were me, I would. I mean, if you're just asking my opinion, just because it sounds like a pain, but... He is the special counsel, and he does have the, the law arm of the law. I have to produce every email? Yeah, I talk to Steve Bannon and Roger Stone eight times a day. Do you know what I mean? Why do I have to go over it? Why do I have to send up every email? Sometimes like that? life and special prosecutors are not fair. I guess I would, I would cooperate. were it me? But you know, I'm a different breed of cat. Sam, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Hey, my, Jake. I'm Jake. I'm definitely the first person to ever do this. Right? Say that again. I'm definitely the first person to ever do this. That's why I don't say I'm not cooperating. Uh, you're the first one I've ever spoken with. Uh. How just bizarre is that? Um, somewhat erratic behavior. So he's refusing. Uh, he also on CNN is alleging that the president may have done something in the election. Now, I, I wouldn't take him at his word on that. It It, it sounds uh, it it sounds very odd. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. This is my theory and it is solely my theory and I don't have anything to back it up with. So it, it is, it is my opinion without any foundational anything other than, is it not curious that he tells Jake Tapper, not I talked past tense, but I talk eight times a day to Steve Bannon and Roger Stone. Well, what does Roger Stone have to do with anything? He was never connected to the president's campaign directly. What does it have anything to do with Steve Bannon, who was late to the campaign, unless he's trying to use calling in to in like this as his lame attempt at signaling to them, Is he saying the president may have done something? This is essentially, it sounds to me like Sam Nunberg uh, trying to telegraph to these guys that they need to help him out or else, um, that he he's a young guy. He doesn't have a ton of money. He doesn't have the money to pay lawyers for this sort of thing. And this sounds like it is a, I'm going to spill the beans on all of you guys, unless you guys come up with the money to set me up with a good lawyer. Again, this is total conjecture on my part, but it just very, very curious to me. He goes on television today. He says this, uh, implies that he may know something about the president uh, doing hanky panky in the election and uh, that he talks to Steve Bannon and Roger Stone eight times a day. Uh, and that is a the the bail me out or else uh, you're going to be bailing water. I ah, just it was a bizarre interview. You're going to refuse to cooperate with the special counsel. You will get arrested and go to jail. Uh, the Mueller investigation—they don't play. They, he doesn't play. He's the former director of the FBI. Uh, You you say you don't want to testify, they will make you testify. Uh, And this just, it seems to me like this is all a telegraphing of I'm not saying anything, but I know stuff and please guys, y'all need to help me financially with a lawyer. That's just, uh, again, conjecture on my part. Okay, anyway, it's Eric Erickson here on WSB, the phone number 404 872 750 wsb talk We got Stacey Evans coming on the show at 7 o'clock tonight from 7 to 8. We'll be here till 8 o'clock tonight. Can we talk about tariffs for a minute? Folks, the president of the United States seriously risks a recession that undoes all of his economic gains as president. And that is not a good thing. A tariff is a tax. And who pays the tariff? It is not the foreign government, nor is it the foreign company. It is you. The cost for your six-pack of beer will go up. Because aluminum is going to be taxed, and that tax is going to be passed off to you. The ammunition you buy for your guns the cost is going to go up. Your guns, the cost of your guns, they're going to go up. Your car price is going to go up. All of these things are going to go up. In fact, the gains that you have seen from the president's uh, tax reform package could in many cases be completely offset by the tariffs. Because again, the, the companies are going to pass the cost off to you and the president says he wants these terrorists because he wants to make america great again by propping up the american steel and american aluminum industry but he's not going to do you know why because in many cases the cost of the products aren't actually going to go up so much that it would make it more lucrative to buy the american product so in a lot of cases these goods will still be uh, will still cost left It'll cost less. And as a result of it costing less, even though it costs more than it did, you'll still buy the foreign products. So you're not actually helping the American business. But then what happens? Well, the American businesses are going to get tariffs placed on them by the foreign governments. The European Union is already saying that they're going to raise tariffs on American products. So the president's saying, well, then he's going to raise raise rates on European goods. I mean, this is a trade war. The president is saying he's going to start a trade war while he's saying we're, we're, we're going to avoid a trade war. The way you avoid a trade war is you get a bunch of other countries together and say, we're all going to do this together so that you can bring people to the negotiating table and negotiate. What the president is doing is saying, I'm going to raise tariffs in the United States. And Every other country on the planet is saying we're going to respond by hurting American business. Economics 101, you know, people on the left and people on the right, there's fairly unanimous opinion, except from the fringe on either side, that tariffs are bad because tariffs raise costs for domestic consumers without actually negatively impacting the other side. The only way tariffs work is if it's a large number of countries coming in together to fight an unfair trade practice. Now, you may think it's an unfair trade practice, but is it really an unfair trade practice? In some cases, the Chinese have been dealing unfairly with this, but we've been betting a thousand winning the World Trade Court. So we're going to go to the World Trade Court and we're going to get hurt. We're going to get penalized as a nation. The Europeans are going to do this. Now, let me bring this close to home for you. Mercedes and Porsche... Porsche, for you purists out there, they're here in Georgia now. You've got Hyundai um, in Alabama and a part of it in Georgia. You've got Volkswagen coming to the South. The European and Japanese auto industry in Georgia, South Carolina, and Alabama is going to be hit hard by what the president is doing, and that's going to affect your jobs. When Mercedes, when Porsche, when, when Hyundai, when, when Toyota, when Volkswagen, when they start laying people off because people stop buying their products because the prices have gone up, then your business is going to be impacted as well. The president wants to save dying American industries. He's actually going to finish them off even quicker. And by the way, while it sounds really good, and for many of you, I know it sounds good that you're gonna fight back and you're gonna fight tariffs and the the Japanese, the Chinese, they're dumping. I hear this a lot. This is what they accused the Japanese of in the 1980s. Uh, they allowed it to explain away American inefficiencies and American rules uh, with the Chrysler bankruptcy and whatnot. Instead of having to address the actual issues, they were able to just blame. Say, oh, they're dumping. They're bad. Um, they're doing these things when when they weren't really. I mean, it's, it's the nature of the world. The world changes. Uh, and free trade tends to help way more people than it hurts. And you're about to find that out here in this country as the president uh, relies on uh, the economic ideas from the 1940s and 50s that have been proven to be ill-founded and recessionary. And we're going to get a recession out of this. It is not wise for the president to impose tariffs. It will start a trade war. And when it's every country against us, uh, those are going to be pretty stiff odds for us to beat. An official brief profit center timeout to thank a sponsor, ManCrates. I'm drinking a beer and it is in my custom pint glass with my name on it, my beer glass. I've got six of them, and I got them from mancrates.com. It is the website to go for the impossible gift person, the guy you know who you want to get him something awesome, and you're just not sure. You got a birthday coming up, you want something, you want to recommend someone go there to get something for you. Mancrates.com really is awesome. They've got stuff if you're into grills, if you're into home cooking, brewing, distilling, if you're into sports, um, uh, hunting, fishing, you name it, they've got a man crate for you. In fact, mancrates has gifts for every type of guy. And and it shipped in a wooden crate. You can go to my Instagram page and see the video of mine when it came. They even ship it with a crowbar. You pry it open yourself. It's really cool packaging. Hundreds of gifts, uh, gift options. So finding the perfect man crate, it's really simple. You go to mancrates.com slash eric, E-R-I-C-K. You find the unique gift like the adventurous knife-making kit for the hands-on guy or the whiskey appreciation crate. They've got thousands of five-star reviews. Every man crate comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. I love my beer glasses. They even, when they shipped them to me, they shipped beer nuts and peanuts, you name it. Um, got great little gifts. Had bar snacks for my friends when they came over. So tell your wife, your girlfriend, your mom, whoever you know who want you want a gift from them. Or you want to get a gift for someone. Go to Mancrates. You'll get 5% off at mancrates.com slash Eric. Limited time offer, 5% off right now at mancrates.com slash Eric. That's Mancrates, M A N C R A T E S.com slash Eric. Thank you to Mancrates for sponsoring the show. At seven o'clock, I'm interviewing the last of the gubernatorial candidates in Georgia, at least the last as far as I can tell. There may be someone else, a surprise uh, qualifier, and if they're a credible candidate, I will interview them. If they're not a credible candidate, I will not interview them. What is a credible candidate? A candidate who's actually doing what it takes to become governor, um, not just someone who angrily announces that they're running for governor and then doesn't actually do anything. And there are always the fringe candidates. So, we'll talk to Stacey Evans tonight at 7. Uh, the last of the can- I've interviewed now all the Republicans and all the Democrats. Um, now... We're going to move on to other stuff, including I, I listen, this is perfect because this is a short segment. So I can say everything that needs to be said about the Academy Awards last night, which there isn't a whole lot. It was boring. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel is ridiculous. He is so convinced that he has to go far left in order to to beat Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon that he's done it. Um, it is hilarious. All the me too stuff. I so you had Ashley Judd and Selma Hayek and, and uh, the other lady on stage last night. To talk about Me Too, and it was not about sexual harassment, it was not about men abusing their position. Harvey Weinstein was never mentioned. It's like they completely revised what this whole controversy is about to now intersectionality. Which I have a hard time explaining what it is. It's it, it, it's it's basically transgenderism on steroids, nonsense with uh, the gay rights agenda, the the transgenderism, feminism, all that, and, and it's a bunch of hooey, um, postmodern nonsense where everybody has my truth instead of the truth, and that's part of the problem, is it not? They can revise what all, this whole controversy is about because it's all about me. It's it's not about the truth. It's my truth and my feelings. Um, that's why Hollywood is doing such a bad job making good films. I mean, for God's sakes, the the, the movie that wins last night, Best Picture, was about a a, a fish sleeping with a disabled woman. It is 39 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, and the phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. There is some new data out there. About turnout models for November and what it may mean for the Republicans' hold on Congress, I'll get to it when we come back. Um, I want to spend a little more time here, though, on uh, what Sam Nunberg did on CNN with Jake Tapper. He, listen, he was he, people kind of forget about. Sam Nunberg. Uh, first of all, back in 2015, uh, when I first invited Trump to the red state gathering that was held here in Atlanta, Nunberg was the guy who reached out. And, and I really didn't take Trump seriously as a candidate at all at the time because uh, he had reached out uh, in July right when Trump was announcing he was running. And um, he, he, actually, I take it back. He he reached out before July 15th, before it said Trump was going to announce, wanted to get him to the red state gathering. And I, I ultimately he sent several emails following up. And ultimately, I said, sure, uh, before then, with the, the Megyn Kelly stuff and whatnot, uh, rescinding the invitation. Now, but he was the low man on the totem pole after Corey Lewandowski got there. He actually is the guy who convinced Trump to bring Corey Lewandowski onto the campaign. Uh, He was intimately tied to Roger Stone. He ultimately was fired. There's no love loss now. He actually told Jake Tapper he believes that Donald Trump is a pawn of the Russians and and potentially colluded with the Russians. He believes Carter Page colluded with the Russians. He says he thinks the Mueller investigation will show Roger Stone colluded with the Russians, uh, that there was coordination. Now, the White House has been really trying to push away the collusion stuff. But I got to tell you, that's the media spin on this. If you pay attention to Democrats, they as well are trying to get past the collusion stuff. One, collusion's not a crime. I, I know many of you think that, and it's being talked about like it's a crime, but collusion is not in and of itself a crime uh, that they could charge the president with. There, there's uh, The president has every right... The campaign has every right to reach out and work with others. The issue is if you work with the Russians um, using foreign influence to shape your election, um, the underlying acts that were done could be criminal, but the collusion, you could get a conspiracy out of it, but not necessarily collusion. The Democrats, though, have abandoned the collusion narrative. The more and more it looks like uh, Mueller is looking at other issues and other angles, and Sam Nunberg doesn't know that's one of the big key issues here. He doesn't know. Um, I, I think the media is, is really moving away because the Democrats are from collusion to other narratives. Um, the, the Russians, of course, the Russians were doing Even without the Trump campaign, the Russians were doing it. I mean, they, they keep changing the, the story and moving the goalposts. There is something else, though, where the media, I think, is behaving badly when it comes to the president, and that is over the weekend, uh, a tape was released of the president at an off-the-record fundraiser. Don't complain. Remember, Barack Obama had the same thing happen with the the, uh, guns and ammo Bitter Clingers comment. That was at an off-the-record fundraiser in California. That leaked out. This one leaked out of the president. At this fundraiser, joking about uh, the Chinese premier deciding to essentially become dictator for life and, and saying, we may try that here. And the media is outraged. You've, you've got serious reporters saying, this is proof that the president wants to be a dictator. Y'all, it's very clear from the transcript of what the president is saying that he's joking And it is very clear that the reporters just lack any sort of sense of humor to appreciate the fact that the president is joking. It was a very big joke. And in the media's outrage over the president's joke, that was a joke, they've kind of missed the thing that should be a little bit troubling to all of us, including the president's supporters. And perhaps the president didn't mean to say it, but he did. So here's the the issue that should concern us. And I have heard from some of the president's team and, and they have discussed the issue with him. Um, he was making a joke, but... We as a nation should be looking um, and frowning upon the Chinese premier essentially setting himself up as dictator for life. And this hasn't made a lot of national news here in the United States. But Xi Jinping, the new Chinese premier, uh, has essentially propping himself up to be dictator for life in China. And he was portrayed in Western media as being the more moderate of the two men who were in the race to be premier of China uh, several years ago. And it turned out he was the more aggressively communist one. The other guy was a corrupt kleptocrat and he was rounded up, carted away, probably has been killed by now. And the new Chinese premier is a heavy handed dictator. Marriott international, the hotel company fired a man who worked at their social media campaign because some idiot at at Marriott listed Tibet as a separate country from China. A Tibetan protest group praised Marriott for its honesty on the Internet. It was a somewhat obscure tweet. A random dude in Denver, Colorado, who ran the social media account for Marriott, who had no idea about all this international stuff, liked a tweet from this group that praised Marriott. He's been fired by Marriott because the Chinese were outraged. We are increasingly seeing a China that does not believe it needs the United States of America anymore. And that is deeply problematic. And as a result of it being deeply problematic, um, this president and this administration should not be suggesting, even through joking, that it's awesome what the Chinese Premier has done, because it will be used for propaganda purposes in China to further his dictatorial ambitions in China. And we really don't want that. This is a dangerous man, and I don't know that we as a nation are taking the Chinese threat as seriously as we should, largely because we're so distracted by the Russians. I would like to, since they're local, um, there's a, there are a lot of stories today about the, the news ratings. I'm actually on a bit of a, a tweet storm on this, um, and want to talk about it, but there is a, Republicans are kind of laughing. They're ridiculing Jim Acosta. He hasn't gotten questions of the white house. I wouldn't take questions from Acosta. I, and I, I wish he would go about it differently. I think that he looks way more partisan than he should, um, in some of the questions he's been asking of late, I and I think he's a great reporter, by the way. I, I know Jim Acosta and, and think the world of him, but I I I think the performance art and the White House um, press briefing is is unbecoming of him personally and of CNN. Um, it, let me just say this though, uh, that I realized that CNN is in third place, and it was in third place when I was there for three years. And when Zucker was hired, the big thing was, oh, they're going to they're they're going to uh, be number one again. They're, they're going to come out on top, and, and they haven't. And the reason they haven't primarily is because, well, you've got Republicans watch Fox, and Democrats watch MSNBC, and people without a party watch CNN. And there are less people without a party than there are D's or R's. Uh, CNN, I think it does tilt to the left to a degree, although I do think they do a better job than, for example, MSNBC of compensating for biases. That said, CNN does have something that Fox and MSNBC don't have, and that is influence. Uh, They have a global brand that is recognized in countries around the world you've never heard of and can't find on a map. Uh, Is second to none outside the BBC, perhaps, in that. And both parties leaked to CNN. So it used to be that the New York Times could set the nation's news agenda. People used to say whatever's on the front page of the New York Times is the, the is the agenda for the day. It's the news agenda. And really now it's it's whoever calls into Jake Tapper's show at night. I mean, I, I've got the TV on right now, and you've got Fox, you got MSNBC, you got CNN, you got uh, The Weather Channel all in boxes up there. And everybody's been talking about the Sam Nunberg story that happened on CNN. And why does this thing happen on a, on a network like CNN? Well, because they're still considered by and large the honest brokers, where Fox is the party of the republic or the network of the Republicans, and MSNBC the network of the Democrats. I think personally, CNN made a strategic mistake um, moving all their executives to New York. Uh, I think they could say honestly, we're, "We're not the New York network. We're outside the bubble," and they should go back to that. When we come back, though, the president and the economy. Welcome back. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I will be interviewing Stacey Evans at the top of the hour. Yep, you got me for three hours tonight. Uh, so stick around. She was the last candidate running for governor um, that it looks like I will be interviewing because it doesn't look like there will be any more um, candidates qualifying. Uh, who meet the parameters we we did set parameters because you know there are always those uh, fly-by-night candidates who run for everything put themselves on the ballot but then I mean they don't even raise any money so we did put as our criteria money limits and whatnot uh, to interview them so if you want to go raise five hundred thousand dollars running for governor uh, then maybe I'll interview you but otherwise don't hold your breath now I want to shift gears from the substance of, of the president's policies on terrorists and whatnot into some practical considerations. Having spent a few days in California, my goodness, the left in California is really mobilized against the president of the United States. But it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter in large part because uh, where the left is most energized, they happen to tend to be already sizably Democratic seats. What is going on in the rest of the country, though? Here's the thing. I think some of you, and I know because I've encountered some of you and you or you call into the program and you vehemently disagree, you do not believe, you do not see, you do not feel that there is a Democratic wave coming. And, and you, th- you were right about Donald Trump winning in 2016. You're going to be right about this. Um, I think the data, historic data, suggests otherwise. But I think the on-the-ground data right now Suggest otherwise as well. Before you you get mad and cuss me out and and vent on Facebook, listen to all of this, though, um, because there is a twist here I think we all need to understand. I do think a Democratic wave is coming in 2018. I think Republicans need to be prepared to lose the House. In fact, Republican strategists involved in the House races have already told me and others that they are in mitigation mode. They are not in preserve the House mode anymore. They've given up on the idea that they will keep the House. Paul Ryan is is thinking he's on his way out of the Speaker's office. Um, the senior Republican leaders are preparing for life in the minority as we speak. They think they lose the House. The question is by how much, and they are in mitigation mode. And I don't know that there's a lot that Republicans can do to be in mitigation mode uh, because the wave is strong. Why is the wave strong? This is what you need to understand. In Republican districts, in R plus 5 districts, that meaning Republicans have a 5% ballot advantage on the ballot, The Republican base, by and large, is supportive of the president, but not of Republicans in general. And of those Republicans who are not supportive of the president, they are very likely to go vote for Democrats, in particular suburban women. Now, don't don't waste your time calling. When I say things like that, uh, suburban Republican women are down on the president willing to vote Democrat. Inevitably, we're flooded with phone calls from angry Republican women saying, no, they're not. I'm a Republican woman and I'm not turned off on the president. I'm going to go vote for him. I'm not talking about the exceptions. I'm talking about the rules. And just because you are an exception to the rule does not mean you are the rule. That, that seems to be one of the, the the great mysteries of of postmodern America, where everybody thinks the exception is the rule now. So where you say, for example, a two-parent nuclear household uh, is the most stable way to raise kids, you'll inevitably get the angle, angry single parent or the angry uh, gay adoptive parent calling in to, saying how great their kids are doing, therefore you must be wrong. No, you're the exception to the rule. You're not the rule. The rule still applies. And the same thing happens here that suburban Republican women have turned on the president. Again, though, before you get angry with me for saying this, just listen to my point, because there is a point to be had that I assure you, you will like. So we are seeing this phenomenon. Now, let me give you a a new data point in this. In early voting in Texas, early voting is up 110% among Democrats. Republican early voting in Texas is not up in any statistically significant measure. Democrats are very fired up, and Republicans are starting to look at seats that are R plus five and less, that is R plus one to R plus five, and they're thinking these are seats we could start losing, that you could see a surprise in a Rob Woodall district, for example, in Gwinnett County here in Georgia, where he loses uh, in a Democratic wave. And those become the new swing seats in this environment where Democrats are highly energized in districts that are between R plus one and R plus five to make a difference. And that means Republicans are going to have to spend a lot more money defending those seats. So they don't have the resources necessary to defend the real swing seats. And there are enough real swing seats to hand the Democrats the house. That's why Republicans are in mitigation, but there's a problem for the Democrats. And this is where I wanted to get that even if the Democrats take the House, which seems likely, it seems to me that they increase the odds of President Trump's reelection in 2020. That, in fact, I think, if the Republicans were to somehow miraculously keep the House, um, it, it would not give the President an advantage that he would have in 2020 by having the Democrats control the House representatives. You see, the Democrats are beginning to eat their own over very liberal social policy. They are coming after Democrats who are not down with the gun control agenda. They are coming out against Democrats who are not down with the transgender agenda. They are coming out with Democrats who have pro-business sympathies, who are not dyed-in-the-wool socialists. We're seeing this in California, where I've been the last couple of days, where you have longtime Democrats like Diane Feinstein suddenly fighting for her life against a Democratic Party that has always had her back and no longer does. And no longer does because she is perceived as not being liberal enough. I mean, we're talking Diane Feinstein here. A liberal's liberal, the original gun control advocate in the United States Senate, the woman who led the fight for the assault weapons ban. Because she does not want to ban all guns, she is now someone who must be purged from the party. Because she wants tax simplification, she must be purged from the party. Because she wants a lower corporate tax rate, she must be purged from the party. She is not a dyed-in-the-wool Super leftist. She's leftist. She's reliably reliably leftist. She has regularly opposed Donald Trump's agenda and regularly opposed his appointees. But because there are some commonsensical things Diane Feinstein and other Democrats in the United States House and Senate support, like common sense business policies in this country, they are not left enough. And because they are not left enough, they will be left behind by the Democratic Party, which is convinced because they are so socially isolated in their coastal bubbles that the whole country agrees with them when the country doesn't and in taking power in the democratic party they risk for themselves the re-election of donald trump as the entire country looks at these people and says oh my god the democrats really are the wackadoo anti-american leftists we always thought they were and the public will race into the embrace of donald trump so a personal note here i feel like i've caught up on all the big news A, a personal note here Uh, And I mentioned it a little bit at the end of December, but it's now been made official by a press release that was released in January and only made its way through the bureaucracy to be actually publicly fully released last week. Um, I will be here through 2020, through the 2020 presidential elections. I have signed a long-term contract with this here radio station to continue to get you home in the evenings or wherever else they may put me on radio long term. But I will be with Cox. I would not want to work at any other radio company in the nation. Um, Many of them are on hard times right now through a bunch of decisions, uh, many of them poor decisions they made. Uh, I I do think that uh, the Cox Media Group has the best set of radio TV and newspapers uh, in the country. So I'm delighted to be able to work here, proud to work here. Uh, very much like this company and very fortunate to have found my way here purely by accident with no prior real radio experience. Um, So, yeah, it was in the trades at the end of last week and uh, appreciate all of your support and listenership and kind words and um, ready for more exciting times here in the run up to 2018 and 2020 in the election. Now, when we come back, I want to pivot to something we we occasionally talk about on this program. It is not political, except in some ways it has become political. Uh, it, it, it is it is personal, but it's it's public. It is just it's worth exploring because I know many of you. I encounter you, in, in your are demographically um, many of you, your thirties, forties. You got kids. Uh, they're in school. You're grappling with things and. The deteriorating culture in schools around here and it just my my wife and I have been struggling with this for a while with our kids and we made some decisions and I have learned over the years that in talking about these things, um, they sometimes prove useful for you guys as well. So we'll explore. Yes, I'm leaving it intentionally vague. It's not so much a tease as I don't want to say something and start idle gossip that gets misrepresented or distorted or soundbited when I don't intend it to. So you'll have to stick around and listen when we come back. And then again, at the top of the hour, uh, Stacey Evans, Democrat running for governor, had a fascinating conversation with Stacey Abrams, the other Democrat. So the two Stacys running for the Democratic uh, nomination here in Georgia, I will talk to her at the top of the hour. And in the meantime, come back and listen to what I'm going to say that I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to say because. I don't want to take it out of context. Okay, so let's talk real life and not political news for a little while. Um, so we've talked to the kids, and we, we've we just we've been in a real struggle, I think, um, with schooling and, and where to send our kids to school. And we decided to move them to a different school. And we love our school, and, and that's why I didn't want to tease it because I don't want anybody to— to, to hear me and, and think that I'm saying anything bad about our present school it's just it's 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 not for us we've decided after six years of our oldest being there uh three years of our youngest it's it just it, it's we need to to move somewhere I think that is more culturally in sync with us and what's so interesting about it is that in in dealing with some of the issues we've been dealing with in, in cultural stuff and then I, I guess I should lay out the cultural stuff. Um, We send our kids to a a private Christian school, and my belief is that um, the outside culture is is shaping the culture that our kids are in more than uh, the faith element is, and we want our kids to be somewhere that is a little more sheltered from the outside culture. Uh, and we've got some friends who disagree with us who think we're we're putting our kids in a bad spot. But you know, I had this discussion with some friends of mine earlier, and I disagree with the parents who say they want their kids to be salt and light in the world because they're still kids. They're still shapeable, they're still formable. Uh, and they're still as much subject to outside pressures as 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 other kids are. And I want my kids to be where they do get a a very solid moral, religious foundation. For when they do head out into the world, when they and when they are challenged, as I don't want them and need them to be salt and light right now, I want them to absorb the salt and light of others. And we love our school, we love the teachers, but it just culturally, I, I think we're we're ready to move somewhere where our kids stay kids a little longer. Uh, and part of the problem that i see in a lot of schools these days public and private is the teachers are kind of helpless to the culture around them and if you're in for example a private school if you're if if everybody can come in who can afford it um, you're going to bring in people who don't necessarily share your values and you risk uh, their value shaping your kids as opposed to your kids and their values shaping the outside and it's such a difficult problem and and um, our, our kids have been getting one of the greatest educations, um, they could possibly get. And I look at friends of mine who are sending their kids to different public schools in the area and talk to the teachers at those schools. And I feel so bad for the modern American teacher. Listen, it, there are really bad teachers out there. There are, um, I've had some terrible, terrible teachers Uh, When I moved back to Louisiana to a public school, I had just some awful teachers, but I had some really good teachers too. And I feel bad for the good teachers who more and more are graded themselves based on how kids in their classrooms do on standardized tests. And in many cases, they, I mean, their kids are coming to school with a, from a broken home, hungry, and they've got other needs beyond academic needs. And you're essentially holding teachers accountable for failures in a home and, I don't know that our public schools in this country are redeemable uh, in that sense. There is one solution, though, and I don't know that it's a solution anyone would adopt. So this is very outmoded and would never happen, but I think it is actually the only solution, and that is a a real aggressive federalism model where local communities get to have their own standards, and even if their standards disagree with the politically correct or left-wing standards of the day, they get to have them without pressure, without bullying, without boycott. And then at that local level, going back to a model of small neighborhood schools where your schools are giving up the athletics programs uh, and they're focusing on the educational programs during the day. Uh, so they they may not have enough space to have the football field and the football team and the sports teams. But you've got a local neighborhood school where you've got uh, small groups of teachers with classes uh, and you got the neighborhood is invested in the school. Uh, Almost in a charter school methodology. I I think we got to go back to when your kids are traveling all over uh, God's good earth to get to school in the the butt crack of dawn, they're tired. Um, The teachers are dealing with large class sizes. There's overwhelming bureaucracy and the parents are absent. Uh, keep the kids in the local neighborhood where they walk to school together in the mornings. Uh, the parents are all outside making sure they go. You got many parents where both parents are working. Maybe it's the grandparents there overseeing. People are involved in the local school, and there's no burden for them to travel across town to get to that school. Uh, we have got to start doing things at a smaller scale in this country in terms of education. Uh, And that means giving up sacrifices, most importantly, the land sacrifices for a lot of schools these days, which means you'd have to sacrifice a lot of your athletics programs and stuff. But I I think we need to be building minds in these schools and we put teachers in a no-win situation. And I just, the culture in this country is so broken. I don't know that we can even, even that will fix it. Uh, But culture is upstream from politics and the culture is polluting the politics and we're seeing that all over the place. And unless we start addressing these cultural issues of broken homes and, and failing schools, we're not going to be able to fix anything. Really, really encouraging, isn't it? Um, but there's there's your hard truths for the day, I guess. Y'all, I want to take a quick time out to thank one of our sponsors this week. It is Beachbody On Demand. Now, you know the Beachbody name. You may not be familiar with the brand directly, but you know P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, T25, The Three Week Yoga Retreat they've moved to a digital platform, so you're not buying DVDs anymore. You're actually, you can web enabled, get it on your phone, get it on your tablet, even get it on your TV. They've got a great Apple TV app that I use. Why do I use it? Well, of all things yoga. Now that I'm over my forties, I've had my doctor recommended it and I need to stretch more. And I've been doing a fitness routine just because I'm trying to get myself back in shape for more TV and travel demands and You know, Beachbody On Demand has some great products. Their yoga plan for me that I do with my wife has come in real handy. I have a ton of friends who do P90X. Beachbody On Demand, it's really convenient. You can get it on your computer, your TV, your tablet, your smartphone, any web-enabled device. You don't have to go to the gym or schedule a class. Everything is right there. You can even do it in your hotel room, which I do do it in my hotel room. It's also very affordable. You can try their great program, all 600 workouts and nutritional information for free. Plus, your annual subscription is cheaper than a gym membership. Here's what you do to give it a try, and I do recommend just give it a try. See what they offer. Right now, you get a free trial membership when you text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 303030. That's right, ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 303030. You get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, nutrition information for free. All you got to do is text Eric E R I C K to three zero three zero three zero. Thanks to Beachbody On Demand for sponsoring the show. All righty. So interviewing Stacey Evans here in a few minutes. We'll be carrying it live here on WSB. Also, you can go to the Facebook.com/slash WSB Radio, our Facebook page, where I will be. There'll be a video live stream, and we'll put the video live stream up on the Resurgent as well. Thanks to all of you who have submitted questions to the various candidates, what I intend to do, if you will text SHOW to 444 text the word SHOW, S-H-O-W, to 444 I will give you back the podcast links for the show. I intend to recirculate out all of the gubernatorial interviews, the five Republicans, the two Democrats, so that you can hear them for yourself, we will spit them back out, And I want you to be able to digest the interviews. And again, I know some people have said they should have been more combative. I wanted more probative. I wanted them to have the chance to introduce themselves Um, without me pushing hard. Just you can get a feel for who who they are. And and I'm I'm largely asking non-confrontational questions. And when you hear them dodging non-confrontational questions, you can make up your mind there on uh, how you think about them. But I think it's important for us to let these candidates explain for themselves who they are. Uh, Before we start asking them the very hard questions, Uh, just get a shape, get a feel for their vision before you start really pushing hard, pushing back. Uh, so Stacy Evans here in just a few minutes on WSB. And thanks again to the station for essentially letting me have this extended time to do these interviews with these candidates. But if you text show to 444-999 and sign up for the podcast, we're going to recirculate all of the interviews. Uh, Brian Kemp, Hunter Hill, Michael Williams, Clay Tippins, Casey Cagle, Stacy Evans, and Stacy Abrams. Um Am I missing anybody? Hunter, Casey, Brewer, Clay Tip. Yeah, I got them all. I got them all. Uh, unless other people qualify. And then I'm happy to interview them as well if they qualify and they're proven the real candidates uh, through the money they're raising, the organization they're building. I'll interview them. I'm just not going to interview all the fringy people who put their name on the ballot and claim they're running when they actually aren't. Uh, now, that being said, I'm going to step away here. We'll take a quick commercial timeout, and I will come back with Stacey Evans.